0: Sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Douglas Cornelius. Well, good morning again. I was a little worried with about 30 seconds left, everything got quiet. turned to Jonathan. I said, there's still 30 seconds. They're not allowed to stop greeting yet. You got to just keep going. We are in the midst of a four-week study on God's promise. God's promise to us. God's promise to the world. What does that look like? How does scripture shape it? What's the story behind it? And we began last week uh, looking at a scene with Abram. This week, we we move forward uh, to a scene with Moses, and we're gonna pick up in Exodus chapter 34, but a little background, just so you know where we are picking up in the story. Um, Back in Exodus 20, um, God gave Moses and the people of Israel the 10 Commandments, right? So we have the establishment of the law, and we'll talk more about that. But uh, we then have a scene in just the couple chapters right before this one, prior to uh, chapter 34, where the Israelites, uh, along with Aaron, build a golden calf, right? An idol out there in the desert. And Moses finds out about this, and he gets so upset that he smashes the two stone tablets that the uh, Ten Commandments are written upon. And so when you see it refer to, uh, you know, building, uh, giving another set of stone tablets, that's why uh, Moses has just broken the old set. So we pick up in Exodus chapter 34, beginning with verse one, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the former ones and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present, present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Do not let anyone be seen through all the mountain and do not let flocks or herds graze in front of that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the former ones and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth. And worshiped he said if now I have found favor in your sight O Lord I pray let the Lord go with us although this is a stiff-necked people pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance he said I hereby make a covenant Before all your people, I will perform marvels such as have not been performed in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you live shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me gracious god may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight O lord our strength and our redeemer amen well the three members of my family all receive gifts very differently my wife taylor is the best one to give a gift to she she loves gifts and her face will light up she'll get a big smile And she will just gush and gush over the gift that you've given she really is that thankful she will thank you so profusely that you will begin to think she's faking she might not she actually might not like the gift you know she's this is too much it seems over the top but I assure you she really is that thankful and she really does love every gift that she gets now Annabelle my daughter my four-year-old daughter is my favorite gift receiver We gave her a few gifts about a month ago, uh, maybe four or five small gifts for her birthday and She started tearing through the wrapping paper just opening it all as quick as she possibly could She must have opened all five gifts in about 30 seconds by the end of it She was she was almost panting she had gone so quickly through these gifts and she looked at all that she had opened so quickly. She surveyed it all, and she said, I don't like any of these gifts. (laughs) Yeah. So we had a teachable moment as parents about how to be polite when you receive gifts and say thank you, even if they're not your favorite, you know, so on and so forth. It's a good teachable moment for a four-year-old, but you do have to appreciate the honesty, right? Like, we're way too polite to do this as adults, but wouldn't it be great if somebody gave you a gift and you could be like, "Eh, that's all right, you know? Uh, Of course, she ended up playing with all the gifts for weeks and weeks on end, so I guess she liked them more than she initially thought, but. We surmised she probably looked at the gifts and thought, where's the sugar? You know, where's the candy in, in this mix? But I'm different than both of them. All right. Taylor once gave me a gift that I liked a lot. I really loved it. It was, it was a little knife sharpener, right, for our kitchen. It was a very, very nice one. It was nicer than the one that I had had for years. And, uh, you know, I... I like my kitchen knives, I like to take care of them. So I was really pleased with this gift. And I said, thank you, I love it. And she said, oh, you don't like it, do you? I said, no, no, I, I, I love it. She said, really? You don't look like you love it. I said, no, really, I, I love it. Really, are you sure? And we went back and forth like this for about a minute. And I said, look, I, I really do like the gift she said okay good good i'll i'll believe you but just so you know you should tell your face <laughs> right tell your face. what that means my face wasn't conveying how enthusiastic i was on the inside about this gift so she said just tell your face you know that you love it that much apparently my face wasn't showing How excited I was. I I wasn't expressive enough. And what I felt on the inside wasn't showing on the outside, right? What was true on the inside wasn't making its way to the outside. Now, last week, we began exploring God's promise. And we noticed right away that this is a different sort of promise, right? God walked down the aisle of covenant twice, once for him and once for us. As if to say, I will keep my promise and when, when you don't keep your promise, I will pay the consequence. The promise will still hold because I will hold it for both sides. That's different. That's a different sort of promise. And we're gonna keep exploring this idea and see how that unfolds. But to understand the full gravity of that promise from last week and, and how it's different, we need to understand that last part. When we don't keep our promise to God, when we don't keep our end of the bargain, when we don't treat our God as our God and instead spend our precious time and our resources, our very lives, worshiping something else. When all that happens, God will still treat us as God's people. But to understand that when, to understand what it looks like when we don't honor our part of the promise, we have to fast forward a bit in God's story with his people, from the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis to the Mosaic covenant of Exodus. Abraham to Moses. Same covenant, same God, same people, but a different man leading those people. As we discussed before the scripture, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and it establishes the law for the Jewish people. The law is Israel's attempt to understand and exhibit the godly life. The law is sort of a set of of precepts, of, of teachings, of rules, of codes, of commandments, of mandates. Pick your word, but it's a roadmap with very, very detailed directions for how to travel, how to walk, the godly life. See, ever since Abraham and the establishment of Abraham's descendants as the people of God, the people themselves have been fairly terrible at being the people of God. And after being delivered out of slavery slavery in Egypt, the Israelites are wandering in the desert. And decades in the desert, it turns out, Is not a recipe for faithfulness to the God that brought you there and so God gives them the law it's God's way of saying you want me to be your God you want to be my people then you need to tell your life right just like I was grateful on the inside for a gift but my face on the outside wasn't really showing it enough And Taylor said, tell your face. So it is with God and God's people. They say, you are our God. They say they worship God. They say they are God's people. But that faith that's on the inside hasn't really been showing on the outside. It's like God is saying, are you really my people? Then you need to tell your life. But after the people receive the law, they actually just get worse and worse. And finally, in the few chapters before our text today, they have really gone off the rails. They built a golden calf, and they break the big commandments, right? The first two. Don't have any other gods before me, and don't make an idol. Those are the first two commandments in Exodus 20. They've broken them both in one fell swoop, and so, The people of God have literally, and also figuratively, broken the Ten Commandments. They say they are faithful, but their lives aren't showing it. And while for reasons that we will explore in the next two weeks, the Jewish law does not bear the same weight for our faithful following of God the way that it once did for Israel... There is still an important piece of the story right here in Exodus 34, an important lesson. See, God says to Abraham, when you don't keep your promise, I will still keep mine. That's from Genesis 15 last week. I will bear the consequences. That when is still an ever-present reality for us. When we don't keep our promise because we still don't keep it. Oh, we don't, we don't build golden calves in the desert. We're much more subtle with our idolatries and much more careful with our gold. But we still have those things in our life that we place before God, don't we? We still have a myriad of ways that we follow our will rather than what God wants for us and for our world. We leave justice and forgiveness and good things undone. We pass them by, we we value that which brings us pleasure over that which is truly good or will be good for our neighbor. We let self-righteousness creep in and we, we lose that humility that Jesus preaches time and again. We sort of disorder our loves and reorient our lives toward just about anything other than the God who called us. It's why we say prayers of confession, because we mess up and spend that way for a very long time. God's people have always been doing that. We've always said, You will be our God, we will be your people. And then we've lived lives that don't show that promise on the outside, that don't resemble that covenant relationship that we've struck with our God. We mean it with our hearts, but then we don't tell our lives. Now, it may feel like this sermon is full of bad news. Hey, preacher, we came to hear good news this morning. Don't send us home upset. Well, okay. Here's the good news for today. The good news for this point in the story. Even when we've done our worst, God is still at God's best. And God's promise still holds true. Israel broke it in a profound way. And just a few verses later, God says, I'll strike up the promise again. Israel breaks the promise, we break the promise, and this is what our God says to us. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression. The law showed Israel how to live its life so that their lives would show the goodness of their God. It was their attempt to live a life holy enough, devoted enough to be worthy of that promise that said, you will be my people and I will be your God, and, and they failed. But their failure to show God's goodness didn't change that God is good. Their failure to show God's goodness didn't change the fact that God is still good. And we, the Christian church, we come along much later in the story. And we are still interested in understanding what it looks like to be God's people, to be, in our case, Christians. Followers and faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, we, we still need to tell our lives, don't we? We still need what is true on the inside to connect with the life that we are showing the world, what's on the outside. And showing it on the outside begins, I think, with living and being as a people like the God who called us into promise. It means being merciful and being gracious, being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We still seek to show on the outside what is true on the inside because the communication of the gospel, our telling of the story of our God is is aided when we do. But when we don't, When we don't, we still thank our God. We thank our God because God is still merciful, still gracious, still abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, so merciful and so gracious, so loving and faithful that when it becomes clear that we his people will never in fact, never succeed at the law, never hold up our end of the promise, God pivots. God offers a shift in the covenant, an unexpected turn in the promise, something new. And we're going to hear more about that Next week. For now, thanks be to God for the glimmers of hope along the way. Amen.